chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm preaching a very important message this morning, and it continues our series of messages on why. And uh, it's, the subject is, Why Be Saved? Why Be Saved? I think that it's a very important subject because if you're not saved, uh, it's the most important thing that you'll ever decide, and that is whether you're going to be saved or not. And I want to talk about that today. And if you'll follow in your Bibles as I read, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be reading in verses 1 through 6. I exhort, there first, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the privilege to be in your house again. We thank you, Lord, that everyone who's here this morning has chosen to be in the Lord's house. And I pray that their coming today will not be in vain, that they will not only have sung to you songs of praise, but also, Lord, that we might be ministered to from the Word of God. The subject we're dealing with today is very important, and I just ask that you might drive it home to each of our hearts. Those of us who have already trusted Christ as our Savior, I pray that you would help us to realize how important that decision was and how we need to share that with other people. And Lord, if there's those here today who have never trusted Christ, I pray that today they would understand that they need to be saved and that today they would trust Jesus as their personal Savior. We ask for your, your help, Lord, as I preach this message. I'm reminded that you tell us without you we can do nothing. And so I pray for your help and enablement. Get honor for yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read in our text that God would have all men to be saved, we can conclude that being saved should be a high priority to everyone. If God himself wants all men to be saved, then surely it's a high priority. It is so important that God became a man so that he could give himself a ransom for all. This God-man, the one and only mediator between God-man, the man Christ Jesus, came to this earth so he could die for our sins. Since God wants all men to be saved, then we conclude that all men need to be saved. There are not some people who don't need to be saved unless they've already been saved, of course. But uh, as you look at the mass of humanity, everybody has a need, and that is that they be saved. And if you're not saved today, you have that need to be saved. I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to a very familiar passage in the book of Romans chapter 3. 
and we begin reading in verse 9. He says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have proved before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they all are under sin. God says everybody, Jew and Gentile, are all under sin. We are not above sin. Many people think they're that way. You know, they use sin and think they've got it conquered and and sin brings them pleasure, but they're in control, but that's never the way it is. Sin always rules over a person, and so we're under sin. Also, he says in verse 10 that there are none righteous. Verse 12 says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 18 says there's no fear of God before people's eyes. And verse 19, all the world is guilty before God so that he can conclude in verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, everybody needs to be saved. Now, even if a person's life seems to be going well, success and prosperity makes people think that they do not need to be saved but they do need to be saved. You see, successful and prosperous people need to be saved as much as the drunkard and the drug addict that you might find on a city street somewhere. Everybody needs to be saved. It doesn't matter how popular you are, how, how rich you are, you need to be saved. I watched a program the other night, a news program, where a certain person, I won't mention the name, but maybe you watched it as well, gave a million dollars to a charity. That's very commendable, and I commend him for that. But that doesn't help him get to heaven. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how important you are. Everybody has the same need, and that is everybody needs to be saved. There is only one person who can save a lost soul. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, Job cried this. He said, how can man be just with God? He asked that question. How can man be just with God? And then he says this in verse 32 of of Job 9. He says, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. He realized that he's a sinner and God's up there. He's so mighty and great. and, uh, And there's nobody that can come between them to settle the score. And he says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon both of us. There's nobody that can come between us and God and settle the matter because we are undone. We are sinners. And then he concludes in verse 35, then would I speak and not fear, for it is not so with me. I don't have anybody. Well, today we do have someone, and that is Jesus. Jesus left heaven's earth, came to this life heaven's glory and came to this earth to die for our sins. He became a man. God became a man so that he could die in our place and take our sin upon himself. He paid the ransom price. A ransom is a price that's paid to release somebody. And Jesus paid that ransom price. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, us from all iniquity. Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And when he gave himself, he gave himself on the cross of Calvary, and on the cross of Calvary, he shed his blood. And 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was the spotless son of God. He never sinned. He had no sin to die for. He was was God himself, 
dying in our place and taking upon himself our sin. God the Father laid our sin on Jesus and he shed his blood. He paid the price for our sins. He died and he was buried. And the third day he rose from the grave victorious as, as proof that he had paid it all. And so the Bible says Jesus made this statement in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So man has a sin problem. God is holy, and man can't get to God because of his sin. But somebody came, and that's God himself, came from this earth and took upon himself our sin, paid for it, shed his blood, and then rose from the grave as proof that it was paid for. And he wants to be our Savior today, and he will save anybody who comes to him and trusts him as their personal Savior. You might say, well... I need to be saved, you say. Saved from what? I might have told you this. I think I did years ago. I, was, I had a radio ministry for 20-some years in West Virginia. Every Saturday morning, I was on for a half hour. And I would witness to the disc jockeys. And one of them one day, I witnessed to him, and I told him, asked him if he was saved, and he asked this question. He said, saved from what? Saved from what? I'd like to answer that this morning. Saved from what? Well, saved from a life lived without any relationship with your creator God. You know, people go through their life and uh, they don't trust Jesus Christ as their savior and all their life they'd live without any relationship to the God who made them, the God who provided for them, the God who gave them everything and God allows them to do things and have the ability to do things. God gave them all of that and they have no relationship with him. And if you get saved, you'll be saved from that life of no relationship, and you'll be able to have a relationship with God himself. Be saved, you're saved from a life of rebellion against God. That's a life of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. When you do what you're not supposed to do, you're rebelling against God. And so when you get saved, you get saved from a life of rebelling against God. You're saved from a life of no real peace and no real joy and no real hope. You're saved from that. You, also, you have peace and joy and hope. You're saved from worrying about your eternal future. Oh, how many people there are that, that don't know Jesus as their Savior, and they wonder what's going to happen when they die. They hope they're going to make it. They ask, you ask them if they're all right, and they say, oh, I'm all right with God. I had a guy tell me the other day, well, I've got a good, all right with God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you can't be all right with God and not believe in Jesus. <laughs> That's impossibility. Because God sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And if you reject his son, you're not all right with God. And so you must be saved so that you don't have to worry about your eternal future. Also, we're saved from eternal condemnation and damnation. And finally, you're saved from that eternal condemnation and damnation, and that is a place called hell. Saved from hell. Yes, there's a good reason to be saved. There's many good reasons. So let's answer that question this morning. The title of the message, Why Be Saved? I want to give you eight reasons today why you should be saved. I'm sure you could add some others. But here are the reasons I believe that you should be saved. First of all, you should be saved because you are condemned and lost without Jesus as your Savior. You are condemned and lost without Jesus as your Savior. Some people have in their mind that they're going to die one day and they're going to stand before God at a judgment and he's going to determine whether there have been enough good deeds or whether there's been too many bad deeds. And if there's more good deeds than bad deeds, they'll make it to heaven. That will never happen. 
It has never happened and it never will happen. You won't stand in that kind of judgment. The Bible says in John chapter 3, he that believeth not the Son of God is condemned already. So if you're sitting here today and, and you're not a saved person, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, God says you're already condemned. You don't have to wait till judgment and, and God's going to determine. God's already decided. You're condemned. Why? You haven't trusted Christ. He's the only way to heaven and you rejected him. You're already condemned. And also you're lost. Well, what does lost mean? The Bible uses the term lost several times in the scripture. But what does lost mean? Well, it means separated from God and you're on the wrong road and heading to the wrong place, the place you don't want to go. You're lost. Have you ever been lost? I've been lost sometimes driving down a road and realize, I'm going the wrong direction. (laughs) And the worst feeling I had, I've told you about this before, I got lost deer hunting one time in a national forest in West Virginia. It happened for just a few minutes. I was confused. I couldn't remember where I was. And every ridge looked the same, and it was getting close to dark, and it's a scary feeling to be lost. Finally, the Lord helped me get my bearings together, and I I realized a certain fence row, and I, oh, now I remember. I think I can get out of here. But it's an awful feeling to be lost. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're lost. The Bible says there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow way that leads to life eternal. And the Lord says that on that narrow way, there's few that be that find it. And you could say this, almost everybody is going to hell. That's awful, but it's true. The Lord says there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way, but there is a narrow way that leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. So if you're not saved, you're lost, and you need to get saved today so you can change that lost condition. The Lord used the term lost in different places. You remember he talked about the sheep, the sheep that that the shepherd couldn't find, and he had 99 at home, but this one lost sheep, and he called him the lost sheep, and the shepherd went to find him. Then he used the term one time when he's talking about in that same chapter, Matthew 13, he was talking about the prodigal son who left home and took, took his money and wasted his, his money with riotous living. And uh, the Lord says, uh, it refers to him as the lost son. You remember finally that lost son came back and the father was glad to receive him back, but he referred to him as lost. The Bible says that Jesus came and seeking to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Paul referred to those who are blinded by Satan as, and they will not believe the gospel as those who are lost. And so many people today are blinded. They think they're all right. They think they're going to heaven. They think they've been good enough. They think they'll make it. They think they have as good as chance as anybody else. It doesn't matter, friend. It's not based on chance. It's based on faith, faith in Jesus Christ. But if your your mind is blinded and you cannot see, then the Bible says you're lost. And so you need to be saved today because you realize you're condemned and you're lost And if you really come to that realization, that's why sometimes we say you have to get a person lost before you can get them saved. In other words, you have to get them to understand. They're condemned. They're lost. If they die like that, if they go out into a Christless eternity, you must understand that you're lost. And so you need to be saved because you're condemned and you're lost. 
You also need to be saved because God wants you to be saved. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he gave his son so that he could die for us on the cross of Calvary. You see, when God sent his son, all of heaven was involved. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, willingly came to do the Father's will. And he left heaven's glory and came to this earth. And he became a man through the miraculous virgin birth. And it was the Holy Spirit that made Mary conceive and so she could bury that child. And so God took upon himself human flesh, and he became a man so he could take our place. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in that giving of the Son of God. But also the angels in heaven were involved. Remember the angels announced the birth, and the angels got excited there when they told the shepherds about it, and the angels were involved. All of heaven got involved for you because God loved you. And you should get saved because God wants you to be saved. And then the Bible says that that son of God, Jesus, went to the cross and he died there for you. He shed his blood. He experienced all that, all that suffering on the cross of Calvary for you. He did that for you. And so you should be saved because God wants you to be saved. And then God, the God, God sent the gospel to you. You know, not everybody in the world has heard the gospel we're trying to get the gospel out to people. That's what our missionaries are about. Uh, take the gospel to those places that don't know the Lord. And, but you've heard the gospel. Well, that's, that's a wonderful thing. You've had the privilege of hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And God lets you hear that. And so God's wanting you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. And if, you've been, if you're not saved today and you feel like you're convicted about that and you think, I really need to be saved, that's God, the Holy Spirit, convicting you. God is saying, I want you to be saved. I don't want you to be lost. And so you should be saved because God wants you to be saved. You see, God knows everything. Because he knows everything, he knows about the seriousness of your sin. Sometimes we justify it. We don't think it's so bad. I'm not any bad, worse than anybody else, or I'm better than that guy, or better than this person. But God knows the seriousness of your sin. And he says, the seriousness of your sin is this, all become guilty before God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God knows the seriousness of your sin. You might not know it, but God does. Also, God knows the severity of hell. God knows what hell is like. You see, God knows everything about it. He knows what it would be like when you go to hell, and God knows that. Also, God knows the shortness of time. He knows whether you have much time. You think, well, I'm, I'm a young person. I've got several more years. Well, you might not. As I've said before, I've had, I've had funerals of stillborn babies, of, of uh, newborn babies, of little children, of teenagers, of young adults and middle-aged adults and older adults. You never know when you're going to die. And God knows. So God who knows the seriousness of your sin says you need to get saved. God who knows the severity of hell says you need to get saved. God who knows the shortness of time says you need to get saved. And if you say, oh, I don't agree with that, you're disagreeing with an almighty, holy, all-knowing God. You don't know more than he does, and he knows everything, and he says you need to be saved. And I want to save you. And so we should get saved because God wants to save us.
Another reason is this. We should be saved because your greatest enemy does not want you to be saved. You see, your greatest enemy is the devil. The Bible says some things about the devil. It says that he walks about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. So your greatest enemy is not some person you have on this earth. Your greatest enemy is the devil, and he wants you to be lost, continue to be lost. And so Satan walks about seeking whom he may devour. Also, the Bible says Satan Satan snatches the word out of your heart. When you hear the word of God preached, he wants to take the word and snatch it out of your heart. Let's say you're here today and, you want, and you're not saved. And uh, you hear the message and you think about it. But you go home and you turn the TV on and the devil will do anything he can to get that message out of your heart. He doesn't want you to think about it. And so the Bible gives the, gives the parable of the sower who went forth to sow and he sowed the seed and some of it fell on the wayside, the beaten path. And the devil comes and snatches that word. Matthew 13 says it like this, he catches away that which was sown in his heart. But Luke describes it like this, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Notice why. Lest they should believe and be saved. The devil doesn't want you to be saved. Your greatest enemy doesn't want you to be saved. That should be reason enough. Also, the Bible says Satan blinds people's minds. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. He doesn't want you to believe the gospel. So, why be saved? Well, your greatest enemy doesn't want you to be saved. Think about it. God always tells you the truth. Always. He never lies to you. He does not want you to be doomed in hell. He wants to save you. On the other hand, Satan always lies to you. He does not want you to be saved, and he does want you to go to hell. Now, who are you going to follow? The question is, why be saved? The devil doesn't want you to be saved. That's a good enough reason. And so, make sure that you trust Jesus as your Savior. Let me give you the fourth reason. Because you do not know when you will die. You do not know when you will die. There will be no appointment or there will be no opportunity to be saved after you die. This doctrine that some church has called purgatory is not true. It is nowhere in the Bible. You cannot find anything that resembles it. It's not in the Bible. And the purgatory says you die and you go to this place. It's sort of a holding area, you know, to see whether you'll get sa- you'll, you'll, you'll be spared or not. And people pray for you and get you out of purgatory. That's all foolishness. It's not, it's not biblical. The Bible says it's appointed unto the man once to die and after that the judgment. There's no, there's no hope after you die. There's no opportunity after you die to be saved. And so you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior because you do not know when you're going to die. And God says this, today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And why does God say now? Why does God say today? God says today because for a lot of people there will be no tomorrow. You don't know if you'll have tomorrow. 
You just don't know. I don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. The Bible tells us that life is uncertain, and today might be your last opportunity to be saved. James says it like this in James 4, verse 14. You know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. We who are older sometimes talk about how fast life goes. It doesn't go any faster when you're older than it does when you're younger, but it seems that way. Why is that? Well, you've got less time to live. And you just never know when that vapor is going to disappear and your life will be over. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says this, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You see, you need to be saved because you don't know when you're going to die. And you might put it off and put it off and think tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. You need to be saved today. Another reason is this. We need to be saved because why should I be saved? Because further delay, according to the scripture, will treasure up the wrath of God against you. The Bible tells us that in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Why is God giving you another chance? Why is God giving you another day? I mean, you thought about this years ago and never have yet done it. You never trusted Christ. Why do you keep delaying? The Lord says, you think that God's good to you and his goodness is showing that, oh, you're okay. No, God says, I, I'm good to you because my goodness is, is supposed to lead you to repentance. And then he says this, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What you're doing every time you turn away Jesus Christ you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. You see, the Bible teaches that there are degrees of punishment in hell. I don't understand it. I don't know how you could have it, but the Lord teaches there's degrees of punishment in hell. I just take God at his word. And so you can say, well, preacher, where would be the worst place you could go to, from which you could go to hell? Some people might say, well, the bar... And um, they're drunk. That'd be a terrible way to go to hell. Well, it would be. Somebody, somebody else, my else might say, well, after I just beat my wife up. Well, that sure would be bad, I'll tell you. And then somebody else might say, but it would be when you were shooting up on drugs and you were just totally out of it and then you ended up dying and you went to hell. That'd be awful. That's true, it would be. But let me tell you where I think we'll one of the worst places you could go to hell from, and that's Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church. Why? Because I know, because I'm the preacher, and I know I've preached the gospel over and over and over and over again, and I'll include it almost in some way and almost in every message, and if you sit here time after time and hear the gospel and yet you turn away Jesus, God says you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath, to whom much is given, much is required, and if you do not trust Jesus after hearing it so many times, oh, it's going to be awful more awful than the others if you go to hell from a church like this. 
any Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. So you should get saved because further delay will just treasure up wrath against the wrath if you don't trust Jesus as your Savior. And then let me give you another reason, the sixth reason. Because your refusal to be saved will influence others. Let's think about it. If you say, I'm not going to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, let's talk about the husband and wife relationship. The husband can influence the wife just to keep putting it off. Or the wife can influence the husband to keep putting it off. And what happens is you influence each other and you both die and go to hell. What about the parents and their children? The parents put it off trusting Jesus as their Savior. And the children don't trust Jesus as their Savior because the parents don't trust Jesus as their Savior. And then children who might come to church, their parents don't, and they hear the gospel, and they don't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. They could have been the one that lead the parent to the Lord, but they don't, and so they, they're influencing each other. And what about grandparents and grandchildren and any other relationship you want to think about? When you, trust, when you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, somebody looks at you and follows your example. And you are influencing others. But let's take the other side. Let's say you do trust Jesus as your Savior. Oh, what an influence you can be to family. The husband comes to the Lord, the Lord is his Savior, and he goes home and tells the wife, I know I haven't been the kind of guy I should be, and it's a lot because I just wasn't saved, but God gave me, God saved me today, and I have a whole different outlook on it. And you start treating your wife like you should, she should be treated, and she comes to know Jesus Christ as her Savior because you led her that way, or it might have been the other way around, the wife leading the husband to the Lord. But what about children? The parents lead the children to Jesus. I've met many a family, you know, who say, say, boy, I don't want my children to grow up like I did. <laughs> and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to make sure my kids come to know Jesus. And then there are other kids, there are other people who are their children, and their parents don't know the Lord. And they come to know Jesus, and what happens? They talk, start talking to mom and dad, and before long, mom and dad come to church, and they get saved. And they've influenced them to trust the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to go to heaven and see somebody that you were instrumental of them being there? Oh, what a joyous time that'll be when people come up to you and say, I want you to know what influence you had on my life. I mean, that touches my heart every time I hear it from anybody, that I help them in some way come to know Jesus as their Savior. And uh, it's so important that you can influence other people. Grandparents, you say, well, my, my time is gone. I had my kids, but no, it's not too late. You still influence your kids, and you still influence your grandkids and how they look up to you. And they might come from a background that doesn't uh, know the Lord or any time, and they come to your house, and they just they don't know what to do. I mean, they pray before they eat. <laughs> they talk about Jesus. They sing songs like, Jesus loves me, and uh, it's totally different. And that grandparent uh, puts into that heart of that young person a desire to know Jesus as their Savior. You see, you're going to influence somebody. And if you reject Jesus, you're going to influence somebody to reject him as well. And then let's look at another reason. The seventh reason is this. Because if you die without Jesus, you'll go to hell. If you die without Jesus, you'll go to hell. Now, if that won't sober you up and make you realize this is important, 
If I die without Jesus, I'll go to hell. Well, what is hell anyway? Well, it's the place that God has prepared for the devil and his angels. And then everybody else that won't trust Jesus as their savior, they go to hell as well. Well, what's hell like? Well, hell is a place of loss. You see, it's a place of loss. You lose everything. The example that God gives that Jesus gave was in Luke chapter 16 about the rich man. And he says he was rich. There was a rich man. He fared sumptuously every day. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. In other words, he, he had plenty. He was rich. He had prestige. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. In other words, that showed his, his class sort of in, in society. He was an important man. And he had pleasures. He fared sumptuously every day. But then he died and he went to hell. What happened? Well, he lost it all. He went from plenty to poverty. He went from prestige to pitiful. He went from pleasure to pain. He lost it all. You see, do you ever think about that in hell there are no good things? Nothing. No good things. Spring is coming. Don't you look forward to spring? I mean, you know, the flowers start blooming, the trees come out. I remember when Joshua came here years ago, he asked me, he said, Pastor, all these trees did? It was a winter time. He came from a place that was, everything was evergreen. And they weren't dead, but they, they're coming, they'll be coming to life soon. And uh, spring is wonderful. But you know, in, in, when you go to hell, there won't be any changes of seasons. When you go to hell, there won't be any scenery. When you go to hell, there won't be any flowers. There won't be any animals. There won't be any dogs to pet or cats, you know, to feed. Or uh, there won't be birds to watch them singing and, and watch them at your bird feed. There'll be none of that. When you go to hell, there'll be no babies. There'll be no singing. There'll be no music. There'll be no personal accomplishments. You can't do anything except try to endure the pain. There won't be any holidays. There won't be any vacations. There won't be any retirements. There won't be any sympathy from anybody else. There won't be any kindness, no happiness, no friendship, no love, no parties, no light, no water, no relief. Hell's an awful place. It's a place where you'll lose everything. No good thing will be in hell. But it's also a place of consciousness. The Bible speaks of the rich man in hell, and it says in the rich man in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torment. It says, he, he says, have mercy on me. He knew he was. He was conscious of who he was. He said, cool my tongue. And then he said, I am tormented in this flame. I am tormented. And he knew the reality of hell, and he was conscious as a person, and he was experiencing the pain there. He was conscious of his past. The Bible says in that account, he remembered Lazarus. He remembered what water tasted like, and he wanted just one drop to cool his tongue. He remembered his past pleasures. In fact, Abraham reminded him, thou had good things. He also remembered Lazarus' past suffering, and Lazarus, he didn't have the good things. And he remembered that. He remembered he had five brothers who hadn't, hadn't died yet, and they were back back home, and he didn't want them to come there. And you see, he remembered that. And he also remembered the way that you could keep from going to hell. Because he said, you send people back, somebody back to my five brethren, so they will repent. How do you know that? He knew it. 
He knew from when he lived there that all he had to do was repent and trust God, but he didn't. And so he remembered how he could have escaped, but he didn't. It was too late. You see, you will remember every message that you've heard, particularly a message about hell when you get to hell. If you leave here without Jesus Christ as your Savior and you die without him, you will remember this message. It will be repeated over in your mind over and over and over throughout all of eternity. Hell is an awful place. It's a place of suffering. He said, I just want one drop of water to cool my tongue. And then he said, I am tormented in this flame. That says it all. It's a place of loneliness. He didn't want any company. He didn't want his brothers to come there. He didn't want to see them. How can you have company with somebody and how foolish it is for these rock stars to talk about having a party in hell? How ridiculous. Hell's a real place, and it's a place of hopelessness. You see, Abraham said, between you and us, there's a great gulf fix, so you can't leave here. You see, when you go to hell, you will never get out except when God gets you out of hell and takes you before the great white throne judgment and then throws you into the lake of fire. It says death and hell were delivered up to the great white throne and then they were cast alive into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. You'll never get out forever condemned. Hell is a hopeless place. There's no relief. There's no getting out. Why be saved? Because, friend, I don't think you want to go to hell. (laughs) And then one final reason. Why be saved? Because you do want to go to heaven. (laughs) I mean, don't you? (laughs) I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. I mean, people say, well, if there is a heaven. Yes, there is a heaven. God says there is. Now, we don't have time to preach a message on heaven this morning. But I just want to remind you some things about heaven. And that is, there's no bad there. You remember we said of hell, there's no good there? In hell, in heaven, there's no bad. Nothing bad. No sin. Nobody disappointing you. Nobody deceiving you. Uh, None of that. No sin in heaven. Also, there's no suffering in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. It's a beautiful place. And Jesus is there and you'll, and you'll be with him forever and ever and ever wherever he is. If you die today as a Christian, you'll go to heaven. And then later, it might not be too long, you'll come back with Jesus when he comes back to rapture his church and take us home. Then you'll go up there and you'll be with the Lord during that seven-year tribulation period down this earth. You'll be with the Lord and you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ where God will examine Christians and determine their rewards And then you'll come back with the Lord wherever he is, you'll be. And then you'll come back with the Lord and he'll set up his kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years and you will rule and reign with him. And then at the end of that kingdom, he will destroy this present heaven and this present earth and he'll make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and we'll be able to be with him there. I mean, that you can't beat that. Wouldn't you rather go to heaven than to go to hell? Why be saved? Because you want to go to heaven. Because you want to go to heaven. I ask you today, can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't be saved? I don't believe anybody can. But there's a lot of reasons why you should. Because you are condemned and lost without Jesus as your Savior. 
Because God wants you to be saved. Because your greatest enemy does not want you to be saved. Because you do not know when you will die. Because further delay will treasure up the wrath of God against you. Because refusal to be saved will influence others. And the decision to be saved will also influence others. Because if you are not saved, you will go to hell. And you want to, go to, he- you want to be saved today because you do want to go to heaven. Now you might say, well, Pastor, I do want to be saved. I'm not. I do want to be saved. What should I do? Well, turn in faith and tell the Lord, say, Lord, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. But I believe that Jesus died for all my sins on the cross of Calvary, and he paid for every one of them so I wouldn't have to. And then he was buried, and when he arose from the grave, it was proof that he paid it all. Because if he's still dead, he's still paying, but he's alive. And he says, if I will just believe that message and call unto him, he will save me. And if you can do that today, if you will do that today, you can be saved. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for helping us to make this message clear, and I hope it has been. Lord, people need to be saved. And I just ask today, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ, that today they will come putting their faith in Jesus Christ. We ask in your name, amen.